1: winter Roth. Mr.
2: President, there are many reasons why I was anxious to accept your generous invitation and to come to this country. As you said, eight of my grandparents left these shores in the space almost of months and came to the United States. No country in the world, in the history of the world, has endured the hemorrhage which this island endured over a period of a few years of so many of her sons and daughters. These sons and daughters are scattered throughout the world and they give this small island a family of millions upon millions who are scattered all over the globe, who have been among the best and most loyal citizens of the countries that they have gone to, but have also kept a special place in their memory in many cases their ancestral memory of this green and misty island.
3: It's not known whether John Fitzgerald Kennedy understood what President Eamon de Valera was saying to him on that windy tarmac at Dublin airport twenty-one years ago. Equally, it's a moot point whether the Irish president could even distinguish his American guest. His sight had been failing for years. But none of this matters. For the moment wasn't simply a meeting between two men or even between two heads of state, it was, in a very real sense, the encounter of two myths. The myth of an austere Gaelic tenacity on the one hand and of the triumph of the dispossessed on the other. During his triumphal tour of the country in that Midsummer Dune of 1963, John Fitzgerald Kennedy became the means by which Irish history made peace with itself. Among those who remember the event are Sister Benvenuta McCurtain, T.K. Whittaker, the economic guru who masterminded the miracle of economic recovery in the late fifties and early sixties, and T.P. Coogan, a veteran of the bread and circuses of many political campaigns who was himself disarmed by Kennedy's advent.
4: It was a wonderful resuscitation of the many young men of twenty who must have gone out in in the 1850s, the 1860s and the 1870s and were never heard of again, because here was young man, hair blowing, buoyant, shoulders back, walking back into Ireland very conscious of our past tragic history of emigration, he alluded to it, um, walking among his relatives in Wexford, mm. enjoying simple things like soda bread with butter on it, uh, obviously a reincarnation of the last hundred years of sorrowful emigration parting of the ways for parents and and sons and daughters and yet here it was worth it all a president of America
1: he was seen by most people here Irish people as being a glorious representative of the emigrant family that had triumphed over the initial miseries of the 1840s and 50s and had made it and made it not in wealth only, but in that special kind of recognition of being elected to the leadership of a great nation. This was a—we derived an awful lot, I think, of vicarious pride
5: and um, recognition from that. I think even tough and uh, harsh, indeed, as he was in many ways, as we now know, he was moved by it too. Uh, for instance, he, just he was going for the um, steps of Air Force One, uh, he just turned back for a moment, uh, just ran back almost, and threw his arms around Mrs. de Valera and kissed her, and everyone was kind of taken off balance. The cameramen weren't ready. His own man was aboard. The other cameramen were, you know, dismantling their stuff and going away. So nobody got the picture, but he was genuinely moved by Ireland and by, you know, meeting these legendary Irish figures, which obviously meant something to him too, and um, that came across. Uh, I was actually in Arasanutha on the day he uh, planted the tree. It was quite moving to stand beside him in the shadow of a giant oak, which was, uh, was it? No, I think it was. Giant tree, anyway, it's still standing, which was planted by Queen Victoria during the famine, during our visit here at the time that his uh, ancestor had set off in a, one of those coffin ships. So, I mean, it was quite authentic. He, uh, the Kennedy family had gone through that uh, trauma, and despite all the schmaltz and the razzmatazz and the PR and the honey fits and the stews of Boston and all the rest, it, they genuinely had made it to the White House, not only from the, the log Cabin, but from the Bohan on the side of the road uh, outside New Ross. So if he had any sort of sense of history or any sense of imagination, it was uh, It was a piece of genuine symbolism. And the symbolism was made all the more accurate and more poignant uh, by virtue of the fact that a wind blew from Dallas and that little tree actually died in the park, whereas Queen Victoria flourished on. They had to plant another tree afterwards.
3: But afterwards was too far in the future. For the moment, only the moment mattered. Wherever he went, the crowd sprang up around him to love and lionise the homecomer speech of welcome after speech of welcome honored the visiting president not only as a dignitary from america or as a darling of the irish but as a jacobite exile a stuart prince a catholic king
2: in spite of our differences we are as one today we have pride each and every one of us within himself we have pride of nationality we are proud mr president that one of our race, you have been chosen by the great American freedom-loving people to be their leader. You, have come to us from the country of George Washington, of Abraham Lincoln, of Thomas Jefferson, of Franklin D. Roosevelt, all of them great international public figures, all of them great statesmen, all of them men of the highest stature, and you, Mr. President, in the opinion of the citizens of this city, and indeed the the opinion of the citizens of Ireland generally, have shown by your writings, by your speeches, by your actions in defence of liberty within the United States and outside of it, that you are a man of the same rank, of the same calibre, of the same greatness as these great men.
6: But in talking so much of the Fitzgeralds and the Kennedys, we must not forget one, another woman who is dear to our hearts, your lovely wife, Jacqueline. We shall be pleased if you will take back with you over the Atlantic warmest greetings, Irish prayers and thoughts from the mothers of Limerick City and County to her whose gracious motherhood and wifely devotion and help to you has endeared her to us all. We mothers especially, sir, only excuse you are not bringing your charming Jackie with you to Ireland for the excellent reason that she has for staying at home. <laughs> we women know that however demanding your presidential commitments may be, and the urgency for you to move on, we can only interpret part of that haste to your understandable longing to be back home with her again at this time. And we know that she too, with your children, are counting the hours of your return to her.
3: Try as he might to walk among them, the crowds were determined to enthrone Kennedy. That their formal addresses would claim him for this or that family, this or that district, was only to be expected. But the speechmakers wanted even more, to affirm his identity as a peacemaker. Indeed, if one can judge by the subsequent mosaic of Kennedy in the sanctuary of Galway Cathedral, as a sort of stand-in for the Prince of Peace. Terence Brown, professor of English at TCD, explains.
7: I think Kennedy managed to... uh perform a very interesting function uh, for Ireland at that period because we have to remember that this was just after the Cold War and in the 1950s Ireland was very much involved in the kind of ideology of the Cold War even in the midst of that depression that was a period when it was people were forbidden on occasion to attend a football match in Dublin by uh, the Archbishop because uh, it's, it, it was an Eastern Bloc country that the Irish soccer team was playing against. It seems <laughs> utterly improbable and inconceivable in the present climate that such a thing could have taken place, but it did, and it was, uh, reflected the degree to which Ireland was involved in the Cold War. Now, the thing about the Cold War was that it was both cold but also very dull. There was a, a sense in it of very sombre, sober, uh, hard-line, right-wing ideologues. Uh, confronting the chilly horror of the Soviet bloc, of which almost nothing was known. And it was both therefore chilly and dull and somewhat boring at the same time. Kennedy, because of a peculiar kind of sexual magnetism that he had, managed to suggest that the Cold War could be fought out as some kind of virility issue that it was a challenge between the vital energies of youthful populations that were engaged in social progress against the uh, dreary, monolithic world of the Soviet bloc. And at the moment in which Ireland was beginning to shed its own uh, almost monolithic uh, chilliness in terms of uh, very conservative ideology, a very conservative sense of itself. He managed, I think, to suggest that it was possible to be a cold warrior, but still uh, be, present a cool image in the modern uh, terminology, that it wasn't necessary to, uh, to be a cold warrior, uh, that you had to be a, a, a chilly, uh, rather dismal bureaucrat.
3: Well, the only dismal bureaucrats in Ireland at the time were the protocol attaches who must have wondered about the ease with which Kennedy doffed official rhetoric and preferred not only to play to the crowd, but to play with them as well.
2: I want to bring you today a greeting from the people of Galway, New York, Dublin, New Hampshire, the people of Kalani, West Virginia, Kilkenny, Minnesota, the people of Limerick, Maine, and the people of Shamrock, Texas. All those Most countries uh, send out oil, or iron, steel, or gold, or some other crop, but Ireland has had only one export, and that's been people. If uh, the day was clear enough, and if you went down to the bay and you looked uh, west and your sight was good enough, you you, you would see Boston, Massachusetts. And if you did, you'd see down working on the docks there some Doherty's and Flaherty's and Ryan's and cousins of yours Who have uh, gone to Boston and made good I wonder if you could uh, perhaps uh, let me know how many of you here Have a uh, relative in America who you'd admit to If you'd hold up your hand When uh, my great-grandfather left here To become a uh, cooper in East Boston, he carried uh, nothing with him except two things a strong religious faith and a strong uh, desire for liberty. And I'm glad to say, (laughs) and I'm glad to say that all of his great grandchildren have valued that inheritance. If he hadn't left I'd be working over at the Albatross Company (laughs) (laughs) Or perhaps for John V. Kelly (laughs) In in any case We are happy uh, to be back here about uh, 50 uh, years ago, an Irishman from New Ross uh, traveled down to Washington with his family, and in order to tell his neighbors how well he was doing, he had his picture taken in front of the White House and said, uh, this is our summer home. Uh, <laughs> uh, come and see us. Well, it's our home also in the winter, and I hope you will come and see us.
3: Not everybody was thrilled, silly. and yeah, there were those who kept their heads in their silence, too, Michael O'Riordan, former General Secretary of the Communist Party in Ireland, had a different angle, indeed an oblique one, on the June shenanigans.
8: First of all, uh, he did have a good image. He had a very good public relations uh, machine working for him. Uh, He did strike the right chord in nostalgia, Uh, but at the same time there was a hell of a lot of shamrockery about the whole business back when he came back here. Uh, and uh, one did feel that it wasn't just a nostalgic visit, visiting the one's routes, which now becomes a sort of a, uh, a practice of the United States presidents from Nixon to Reagan. And I think the one would question the, the, the Nixon routes, for instance, and one would see in the Reagan visit the, the same sort of uh, political purpose behind the visit. Mm-hmm. And I think the political purpose of Kennedy's visit was to rally the Irish national exile, immigrant uh, Catholic vote in the United States, uh, uh, which is still not as big as it used to be, but is still a factor in uh, American politics. Much has been said about Kennedy's Irishness, but uh, coming as he did to our state in Berlin, where he proclaimed himself in, <laughs> in one single sentence about Ich bin Berliner, I am a Berliner. Uh, in other words, a very, very clever sort of phrase of attending himself with the people of West Berlin, uh, which was a flashpoint, and probably still is a flashpoint, but even more so than it was a flashpoint in which World War III could have broken out. Uh, that when he came here, I think he made the maximum use of the, what, uh, the understandable sentimentality of the Irish, because in many respects, Uh, for any Irishman who's been in the United States, even for a brief period, you do find that they, they are in many respects more Irish than the Irish themselves.
3: Perhaps so, but they'd also been more American than the American themselves, at least in terms of getting on. President Kennedy was happy to rattle off the home scores with a pride that was mirrored and magnified by the crowds he spoke to. My country
2: welcomed many sons and daughters of so many countries, Irish and Scandinavian and Germans, Italian and all the rest, and gave them a fair chance and a fair opportunity. The Speaker of the House of Representatives is Irish descent, leader of the Senate is of Irish descent, and what is true of the Irish has been true of dozens of other people In Ireland, I think you see something of what is so great about the United States. And I must say that in the United States, through millions of your sons and daughters and cousins, 25 million, in fact, you see something of what is great about Ireland.
3: There were those who observed all of this, and those who took part in it. T.P. Hardiman, subsequently a director general of O'Te, was at the time in charge of outside broadcasts and so was, in a sense, both participant and onlooker.
9: It was a a very interesting and exciting challenge for a very young television service at the time. Um, We'd been on the year, whatever it was, the full of 1962 and half of 63, 18 months television broadcasting experience. So it was quite a significant challenge from that point of view to use whatever skills we had learned and to put them into play, not only in giving very full television coverage for the domestic audience, but of course there was an enormous international interest in this. Um, Of course I had walked all the scenes and knew the uh, in terms of the planning of the organisation. We were working 24 hours a day, 7 days a week for the few weeks beforehand. We were very conscious that it was to be an important event and a success for a fledgling television service, but that part of us that gets drawn into wanting to make sure that the country does something extremely well was evident at that time. It's the first cha- such challenge. RTE and, in the broader sense, the Irish public entities tend to respond like this when the big international challenge, to put the best foot forward, to show well internationally. We were very conscious of that, that the eyes of the world would be on Ireland for five days, and we were very anxious as relative tyros in the profession of television, that the very best in professionalism and television would come out of Ireland. There was, I think, of course, some element of the political calculation and everything the Kennedy clan did and the visit to Ireland was quite clearly in a broader political context. Mm. But the reality, I think, was that that was overtaken by the mood that happened in the country.
3: The mood was reciprocal, and one of Kennedy's favourite ways of expressing his pleasure and the joy of the crowd was to invite them to join in with a show of hands. These were probably the happiest ballots he ever pulled.
2: My friends, I want to uh, I want to express uh, my pleasure at being uh, back uh, from whence uh, I came. There is an impression in Washington that there are no Kennedys left in Ireland; that they're all in Washington. And uh, so I wonder if there are any uh, Kennedys in this audience. Could you hold up your hand so I can see? Oh, I'm glad to see a few who didn't catch the boat. I wonder, before I go, if I could uh, find out how many citizens here have uh, relations in the United States. I think you could hold up your hand if you do. I uh, want to express my pleasure at seeing the Fitzgeralds. I wonder if they could stand up. Could they up?
3: Only a few short years before, the President wouldn't have been able to make light of immigration. During the later fifties, almost a quarter of a million young men and women left the country. Those who went were bitter, those who stayed were bereft. But Kennedy's move to the rose garden of the White House had itself transformed the bitter landscape of exile into an ecology of milk and honey. The sourness had been drained out of the sore of exile.
5: It was the time that the Lamas boomlet seemed to be working, and uh, we were in the good days of the Whitaker Plan, and uh, HP was sending washing machines and fridges and carpets and all that into uh, Irish homes, and um, uh, Kathleen O'Hulahan uh, was, be- in some people's eyes, anyhow, was becoming. Identified as Kathleen O'Hulahan Limited, <laughs> how limited we've since learned. But in those days, it seemed that uh, upward never onward. You know, prior oil shocks and all those things was the path to go.
4: It's easy to forget now that the Kennedy visit was such an important matter for um, mass c- communications in a political sense. This was the first uh, recorded uh, long impression of a president's visit. He happened to be an Irishman and he happened to be handsome, coming across to us with all the virility which, with which we weren't used to in Irish politics, but which in some nostalgic way, I heard it at the time, was referred to as the kind of sexual magic that Michael Collins possessed for, the, for those of his generation. And not only that, but we had grown used to a kind of a, a sober-visaged politician who wore dark clothes, We had an elder statesman, as distinct from politician, at the time in Eamon de Valera. And somehow we were subdued by the whole seniority of politics. And yet here was a young man who stood in the Doyle and brought us back to the rhetoric of uh, Grattan, of Henry Grattan, and was conscious of that tradition, the parliamentary tradition of not only Grattan, but the the marvellous kind of voice of Daniel O'Connell, and used all. Be, uh, what we now know as the skills of public relations and uh, being able to put across one's um, persona.
3: Kieran Carty, editor of the Sunday Independent, remembers the force of that personality.
10: In America, you know, it was the age of Camelot, and uh, for for a brief period there, there was a sense that uh, liberalism and open open ideas were were, were ruling Washington, and uh, we we. We got caught in this, a bit, too. I mean, it became possible. I mean, to 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 adopt this kind of view here, it became, it became, it was made normal. It was it was it was authenticated in a way by by Kennedy's presence and the fact that everyone could see he was he he, he was so gregarious. He had charisma. I mean, he when he came to Dublin, I remember. I mean, the state reception in in Dublin Castle, he paid as much attention to the staff and to inquiring about their their, their well-being and asking about their families. As he did to the dignitaries who were lining up to to shake his hand. So the, the, there was this sense of, of, of a sort of democratic openness and this in a society that had been so closed and uh, as you say, the geriatric leadership was sort of, the, I mean a young, a young man in government then was in his 50s or 60s and this, this is regarded as a man beginning of a promising career in government. So they, he made it very difficult for, for to perpetuate that, the system we had then. Kennedy represented youth and Ireland was becoming a young society then. It was with the economic change and the free education and all that kind of thing in the 60s. That uh, there, there was a, the beginning of this change that's now made us the youngest nation in Europe. I mean, now half the population is under 25. Well, the, that was, that, that that's change was, was beginning to take place then, too. So uh, youth, yes, the idea that young men could run countries, the idea that young men then could run businesses, young men should be running everything.
3: Well, as long as Kennedy was in the country, he ran it like a private party, and we were breathless keeping up with our host as the whistle-stop turned into a walkabout. Kennedy's wit and mischief delighted a people who couldn't even listen at that stage to Maurice Chevalier's Thank Heaven for Little Girls, because it was still on the banned list. Frisky, flirtatious, part Charlemagne, part Gatsby, Kennedy certified a style of assurance Irish culture had always frowned upon.
2: I asked your distinguished ambassador... United States. Where is he? He has sort of an elfish look about him, but he's very, very good. I said, what is this county noted for? And he said, uh, it's noted for its uh, beautiful women and its fast horses. I can imagine nothing more pleasant than Continuing day after day to drive through the streets of Dublin and uh, away, and I may come—I may come back and do it. I want to also say how pleased I am to have this association with these uh, two great uh, universities. I am now uh, feel uh, equally part of both, and if they ever have a game of uh, Gaelic football or hurling, I shall uh, cheer for Trinity and pray for National.
3: The jests didn't stop when the President addressed the joint session of Parliament. His opening shafts in the chamber were as suave and feisty as anything he'd offered previously.
2: I am deeply honoured to be your guest in the free Parliament of a free island. If this nation had achieved its present political and economic stature a century or so ago, my great-grandfather might never have left New Ross, and I might, if fortunate, be sitting down there with you. course, if your own president had never left Brooklyn, he might be standing up here instead of (laughs) me. This elegant building, as you know, was once the property of the Fitzgerald family, but I have not come here to claim it. (laughs) Of all the new relations I have discovered on this trip, I regret to say that no one has yet found any link between me and a great Irish patriot, Lord Edward Fitzgerald. Lord Edward, however, did not like to stay here in his family home because, as he wrote his mother, Linster House does not inspire the brightest ideas. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Among those present on that day was Senator Owen Ryan of
11: Fianna Certainly, Historic occasion, and uh, it was a tremendous uh, honour to be there. And of course, he again he spoke so very well, and uh, with the with the kind of style. I mean, it wasn't just that he made a good speech; he made a an entertaining speech, an amusing speech. It was it had everything. Uh, it was uh, really uh, such a sophisticated performance and uh, such a warm performance. There is no doubt that uh, he uh, was uh, interested in the Irish vote. There was no doubt uh, that he, uh, his links, his uh, coming to Ireland and so on, uh, did have... Uh, a political motive, um, but I think it was anybody who met him at that time, and uh, and from various reports back, I think it was it was certainly no burden to him to uh, take up uh, this connection to make the most of it. Uh, this was the, a kind of like the happy ending of a, of a fairy story. Here, here was the uh, the a member of a family who had emigrated from Ireland and he had become the president uh, of the United States.
2: They came to our shores in a mixture of hope and agony. And I would not underrate the difficulties of their course once they arrived in the United States. They left behind hearts fields, and a nation yearning to be free. It is no wonder that James Joyce described the Atlantic as a bowl of bitter tears. And an earlier poet wrote, they are going, 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 and we cannot bid them stay. But today, this is no longer the country of hunger and famine that those immigrants left behind. It is not rich, and its progress is not yet complete, but it is according to statistics one of the best-fed countries in the world. Nor is it any longer a country of persecution, political or religious. It is a free country, and that is... <laughs> and that is why uh, any American feels at home. There are those who regard this history of past strife and exile as better forgotten. To use the phrase of Yeats, let us not casually reduce that great past to a trouble of fools. For we need not feel the bitterness of the past to discover its meaning for the present and the future. And it is the present and the future of Ireland that today holds so much promise to my nation as well as to yours and indeed to all mankind. For the island of 1963, one of the youngest of nations and the oldest of civilizations, has discovered that the achievement of nationhood is not an end but a beginning. In the years since independence, you have undergone a new and peaceful revolution, an economic and industrial revolution, transforming the face of this land while still holding to the old spiritual and cultural values. You have modernized your economy, harnessed your rivers, diversified your industry, liberalized your trade, electrified your farms, accelerated your rate of growth and improved the living standard of your people. The other nations of the world in whom Ireland has long invested her people and her children are now investing their capital as well as their vacations here in Ireland. This revolution is not yet over nor will it be, I am sure, until a fully modern Irish economy fully shares in world prosperity.
3: Dr. T. K. Whitaker provides a context for the new note of buoyancy in
1: Kennedy's speech. Well, just before he came, almost, <laughs> the census showed that the tide of emigration had turned, that we were beginning to have a rising population again. The 1961 census was the first, I think, for quite a long time, to show that that change had taken place. and that that, amongst other things, was giving us heart here. But certainly, we had no, we had no hesitation, no reservations about um, the Kennedy ideal and image. And uh, we had managed to bring ourselves away from looking over the the brink of despair. We had found that we could make some progress if we set our minds to it. And as I said earlier, that um, emigration was not going to be a perennial bloodletting exercise, that we were able to staunch it and control it and build up not only faith in ourselves, but actual numbers as well.
2: This has never been a rich or powerful country. And yet since earliest times, its influence on the world has been rich and powerful. No larger nation did more to keep Christianity and Western culture alive in their darkest centuries. No larger nation did more to spark the cause of American independence and independence indeed around the world. And no larger nation has ever provided the world with more literary or artistic genius. This is an extraordinary country.
3: Patrick Donegan, the Finnegal TD, was also in the house.
5: My abiding memory seems to be a time of sort of great friendship and everybody was most impressed, and not only that, but they felt it within their very being. They, were, they felt they had somebody there who was off them and who was trying to be with them. I think that was Jack Kennedy's great thing. He was off the people and with the people at all times.
3: What effect did his speech have in the chamber? You were were sitting there listening to him, he was... uh...
5: Completely moved. Uh, To be moved by a speech, somebody has to give himself to you and extract from you something that's indefinable. Kennedy could do this. All the shouting through microphones at the wrong level of voice and that sort of thing uh, doesn't do it, but Kennedy could do it.
2: From Cork to the Congo, from Galway to the Gaza Strip, From this Legislative Assembly to the United Nations, Ireland is sending its most talented men to do the world's most important work, the work of peace. In a sense, this export of talent is in keeping with an historic Irish role, but you no longer go as exiles and immigrants, but for the service of your country and indeed of all men.
3: In effect, Kennedy was preaching another crusade for the liberation of the holy places. It isn't entirely certain that we took him at his word. Personal latitude is allowed where poetic license occurs. But we were hugely gratified to be summoned out of our inertia, our insularity, and invited to repossess the most ancient of Irish practices, that of the missionary or the militant. Our sense of ourselves could never be quite the same again. Ronan Fanning, of the History Department of UCD, sums up the visit.
12: I think we have to remember that the early 60s were very expansionist, they were an optimistic age, and the kind of disillusion, the kind of disenchantment with the American presidency, which happens during Vietnam, after Vietnam, after the Watergate case, that you're speaking about a period which is pre-Watergate, it's pre-Vietnam and therefore the way in which the presidency is perceived, I think all throughout the Western world, is very different. Kennedy has succeeded an older man, Eisenhower, a man who's associated with World War II, and he is in a very real sense a representative of what people see as a brave new world, the description of the White House as Camelot, that whole aspect of the, of the Kennedy thing. Now, in other respects, of course, there, there is a tremendous sense, Irish sense, of pride in the fact that here you have a returned exile. I mean, he is the apotheosis, if you like, of the returned Yank, made good. And it's, the symbolism is, I, I think, very important. Apart from that, you, you, you have other aspects of the thing. He is the most powerful man in the world. He's extraordinarily wealthy. He's married to a very glamorous woman. He's extremely good-looking and attractive himself. Now, when you take all those and put it together, I think you begin to get some kind of idea of the impact which uh, Kennedy had in Ireland in 1963. Indeed, I think you can go a little bit further than that, and you can argue that it is very much the most important visit of any individual to independent Ireland since the foundation of the state.
5: There's no doubt a whole generation of Irish politics um, modelled themselves on them, and they started trying to get themselves called uh, by their initials, uh, as JFK did, and some of them even aped the hand in the pocket of the jacket. And uh, the men in the mohair suits, as I dubbed them in that first book of mine, in Ireland Since the Rising, you know, got a hold of the levers of power in that era. And the model that they looked to was definitely Jack Kennedy. And uh, they just looked to his methodology and his can do and his rootlessness. They didn't uh, have any particular phil- philosophical concept. And I think it, uh, it dawned on them all, and uh, dawned on an awful lot of us later, that. Uh, It is true that if you don't understand morality, you don't understand politics either. Now, Jack Kennedy certainly understood politics. Uh, His morality was that of America, American politics, and the reality of it and the brutality of it. But that was not apparent at the time. It was just uh, the godlike figure. I remember the Sunday press had a famous uh, colour photograph of himself and uh, Jacqueline. I think it was taken by Coleman Doyle. And it's quite safe to say that that for some decade after his tragic death, uh, that photograph hung in as many farmhouses as did the Sacred Heart all over Ireland, in rural Ireland, and in urban Ireland too. Now that would be unthinkable today. I mean, even Boy George or Michael Jackson or somebody would be up and down in six months. It's an interesting question
9: as to whether... The Kennedy
5: visit was a simply an Indian
9: summer. It wasn't. It was very real for people, and it stayed in people's minds for a long time afterwards. Um, I'm not simply reporting my own, the impact it had on me, uh, because I was, I suppose, in the nature of being very busy at the time, more blasé about it, but I was very conscious of the impact it had on others. I knew it had on myself as well, but very conscious of the impact it had on others. It wasn't an Indian summer. It was very real. And it was, it was a moment in time to be celebrated and to be happy about um, but it was also something tangible that people felt and they were aware of. and you, know, they half joking, but it was very serious. You go into country houses and you find the picture of the Sacred Heart on one wall and Kennedy in the other. Indeed, sometimes the Sacred Heart was gone in two pictures of Kennedy. that was how real it was for people, because that's very real in rural Ireland.
3: No period of history is more remote than the recent past, and 1963 happened 21 years ago. We've since attained our majority and put away the Pauline things of childhood. Dr T.K. Whittaker, who did so much to prepare the ground for the Kennedy visit, who made it possible for us to celebrate ourselves, our newfound potency, in the person of a Boston millionaire, remembers the event with a certain sadness.
1: Bliss is what it is. It was, in that dawn, to be alive, but to be young was very heaven. You that was the kind of feeling that was abroad. <clears throat> you had a
3: great deal to do
1: with that, with that celestial state. Because, um... <laughs> well, I think it's now looked back upon as a paradise lost.
2: <laughs> so I must say that, uh, though other days may not be so bright as we look towards the future, that the brightest days will continue to be
0: those in which we visited you here in Ireland.